Placed is a podcast about the geography of the Bible and the geography of our lives. Through story, we'll explore the wilderness and the pastures of the biblical world. As we see how God is at work in every landscape, we'll find our place in the story of Scripture. Welcome to Placed. I'm your host, Kelsa Graybill. You can download a map and show notes for today's episode at my website, kelsagraybill.com. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Kelsa Graybill, and today on the show, we're traveling back to Shechem. You might remember we were at Shechem with Abram and Sarai back in episode one, but today we're revisiting it in this incredible bookend moment. I don't know if you use the term bookend moment at your house, but it's something my family will tell you I'm always on the lookout for. I have two elephant bookends that hold my favorite book collection, and bookend moments function the same way. They're the beginning and ending of a moment or a season. They hold something together between them. Bookend moments can look a lot of different ways. They can be like a prayer or a reflection that opens and closes a meeting, or a hike that opens and closes a weekend at the cabin. But I love hunting for the bookend moments that happen spontaneously in our lives. My all-time favorite bookend moment happened when I was in college. My husband first asked me out. We were on a walk across campus in a hailstorm, and I thought it was like something out of a fairy tale, so magical and beautiful, and he thought it was a judgment like one of the plagues of Egypt and panicked that our relationship must be doomed from the start. But neither one of us had any idea that Hale was going to become a bookend moment in our relationship. Because four years later, it was May, and we were saying goodbye on campus for our last time there as students. And it was about a couple weeks before our wedding. And as we were saying goodbye, it started to hail in May. And it just made me laugh in this moment of gratitude, looking back over our relationship, over God's faithfulness, and seeing what had happened in between the first hailstorm and the second hailstorm and God's faithfulness through those years bound together all of our studies and studying abroad and internships and friendships. It just became this beautiful, seamless story bound together by hail. And that's what bookend moments do. They connect us back to the beginning and they help us remember the story that happened since then. This week, we see that Shechem is like a bookend moment, a bookend moment that is even more spectacular than my hailstorm story. Because in episode one, God revealed to Abram and Sarai that the highway land of Canaan would be the home of Abram's and Sarai's descendants. And God revealed this to them at Shechem. In today's episode, we travel back to Shechem and we see the fulfillment of that promise Because God calls the great, great, great grandchildren of Abram and Sarai back to Shechem to commemorate the fulfillment of this promise. It's this spectacular bookend moment that will echo in their memories for years to come. Let's look at this geography to understand how. So Shechem has been called this uncrowned queen of the hills. I actually have not had the chance to walk through Shechem but I've looked down on it from the top of Mount Gerizim, and I can see why it's called that. First of all, it's this beautiful half-mile-wide valley between two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, 
And on my website, you can see the modern town of Nablus sprawling between these mountains in the flat valley. And flat land easily becomes fruitful land because you can plant and grow crops there. All of this is compounded by the fact that Shechem has a lot more water than most places in the highway land of Canaan. They get around 62 days of rain annually, which is quite high for Canaan. Not to mention they have another 242 days annually of dew or maybe a little bit of rain. And the soil is what's called alluvium, which I had to look up, but it means that the soil is the mixture of sand and soil and deposits from a river, and it's really fertile and nourishing for wheat and other grain crops. So Shechem is the uncrowned queen of the hills. It's this gloriously green place. And in fact, the Oxford Encyclopedia of the Bible and Archaeology says that, quote, the combination of good climate, fertile soil, and a large amount of springs makes this one of the most fertile regions in the country. But remember, we're learning about Shechem because of its role in Bible history, and Shechem is not just Queen of the Hills because of its geography, it's also Queen of the Hills for its role in salvation history. So let's pick up with the Israelites. Before Moses died, he commanded the Israelites to go to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal and build an altar on Mount Ebal. You can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And probably Moses sent them back there because it was the place where Abram and Sarai received this life-changing promise. Moses wanted the Israelites to see that they were the heirs of this incredible promise. So Moses commands them to do two things. First, to go to Mount Ebal and build a stone altar, as well as take some stones to make a copy of God's instruction. Second, they're to hold a special ceremony, which we'll talk more about in a minute, to remind themselves of their relationship with God, a relationship known as a covenant. So it's a two-part instruction, kind of like if you tell your kids to make their bed and pick up their toys. They have to go there to make the altar and the copy, and then they have to have a special ceremony. So when Joshua and the Israelites first arrive, they obey the first part. In Joshua chapter 8, they travel north up the ridge route, come to Shechem and build the altar and set up the covenant stones. Then after they have settled the land in chapters 9 through the end of the book, they go back to Shechem to follow the second part. They complete the covenant renewal ceremony that's found in Joshua chapter 24. So I've said this word a couple times, covenant, and the covenant is so important to Shechem, but we have to kind of unpack what even is a covenant because covenant is not a word we use today, but it's a specific kind of legal term that is used to describe the people's relationship with God. A covenant is a promise or agreement between two people or groups of people. And covenants also use this political form of a treaty between a leader and a subject or group of subjects. The leader is usually known as a suzerain and the subjects are known as vassal. So it's called a suzerain-vassal treaty. Okay, 
I know, I just said a lot of words that you might not have been familiar with before. But hang with me, because understanding a suzerain-vassal treaty will totally change the way you understand this story and will show you that actually the Old Testament and New Testament are both talking about God's grace, which is incredible. So hang with me for a second. The Bible takes this political form and uses it to explain the relationship between God and his people. God is the suzerain, which is a fancy term that historians use for a leader, and God's people, Israel, are the vassal, which is another fancy term used to describe the subject or the party with less power in this case. So the familiar form of the suzerain-vassal treaty shows the Israelites how they are to respond to God. Let's dive in and talk about this because I think it will really help bring this to light. I'm going to be drawing from the work of Kenneth Kitchen and George Mendenhall. I have references to their work on my website, so definitely check that out if you're interested to learn more about the suzerain-vassal treaty form and how it's used in the Bible. Suzerain-vassal treaties start with a preamble identifying who's talking. In this case, Joshua 24 identifies Joshua as the speaker for God. The next and the most important part, I would argue, is the historical prologue. A prologue is often the beginning of a book. An historical prologue tells you the beginning and tells you the history. And historical prologues usually told what the suzerain, the leader, had done in the past and why, therefore, the vassal, the subjects, should be loyal or faithful to him. This treaty is always rooted in the work of the suzerain. And because of that, the vassal's response is always one of loyalty and gratitude. They are not earning anything. They are not achieving anything. They are acting in response to what someone else has already done. I hope you see how revolutionary this is. This means that everything the Israelites do is a response to what God has already done. So verses 3 through 13 unpack how God made a promise to Abraham at Shechem, how he delivered Israel from the oppression of Egypt through Moses, how he cared for them in the wilderness, defeated the seven Gentile nations, and led them to a place that they could not have defeated with their own sword and bow. This historical prologue demonstrates that the promise is totally rooted in what God has already done for them. The theological terms for this are faithfulness and grace. Their relationship with God is based upon his favor and his grace. And that's why the covenant renewal ceremony takes place at Shechem. It reminds them that their place in this land is based on God's promise made to Abram and Sarai way back in Genesis 12, which you can listen to in episode one. In a spectacular bookend moment, God is bringing them back and showing them that the promise depends on him, not them. This is revolutionary for a lot of what we think usually about the Old Testament. Usually we think the Old Testament was all about obeying the law, but that didn't really work. So the New Testament came along and we think, oh, it's just about grace. Hooray, let's just read the New Testament. But that's not the case. The historical prologue shows us this is rooted in what God has done. So then God shows them what they are to do in response. 
Okay, so we've had the preamble introducing Joshua as the speaker and the historical prologue showing the story of God's deliverance. And now we have the stipulations or the response. Here is how Israel is to live in light of what God has done for them. They are to fear the Lord. They are to throw away their gods from Mesopotamia and Egypt, and they are to serve the Lord. I think of it like Ephesians 4.1 says, that they are to live a life worthy of God's calling. We see in the Old Testament the same pattern as the New Testament. God is acting in grace to save and deliver, and we respond with loyalty and with gratitude. After the stipulations are given, there's a clause about the public reading. It's really important for the covenant to be read aloud because most people can't read. This is an oral culture. So reading it out loud and establishing witnesses is the way that people remember. There are two witnesses mentioned, the people reading the covenant in chapter 24, verse 22, and these stones that are established in verses 26 to 27. So we've had the preamble, the historical prologue, the stipulations, and then the people read the blessings and curses. A lot of us today hear the word blessing and curses, and we think, oh, here it is. See, I knew it all depended on works. But I want to suggest that actually blessings and curses are a reflection of the fact that God is the source of life. When we live life connected to him, we flourish, we are blessed. But when we disconnect our lives from him, we know the absence of life, which is a cursed life. So these blessings and curses remind Israel that life and flourishing are found in God and in walking according to the way he made us. Now, here is how this all comes back to geography, because they're at the base of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. They're supposed to stand on Mount Gerizim for the blessings, and Mount Gerizim actually looks blessed. Paul Wright describes Gerizim as dotted with springs and flowing down into the valley and surrounding the city and making Shechem, making it this blessed place. But Mount Ebal is rocky and barren, showing what life looks like apart from God. This is what is so cool, is that in between these mountains, if you speak or shout really loudly, you may hear an echo. And scholar David G. Hansen suggests that as they read the covenant and shouted the blessings and curses and said amen afterwards, this may have been amplified and echoed all through the valley. The bookend moment is not just that they're back in Shechem, but actually the second bookend is reminding them they're called to be here and to be here as God's people. God's faithfulness is just amplified and echoing all around them. It is truly spectacular. And we see through this covenant, God does not have multiple personality disorder. He doesn't randomly change plans in between the Old and New Testaments. His faithfulness is at work throughout the entire Bible. Sometimes we just need some help to understand it because it's written in a different cultural and geographical context than our own. So I invite you to consider this week, where is God's grace and faithfulness echoing over you right now? What bookend moments are in your life as these giant signposts to his faithfulness? How are you commemorating his grace and faithfulness? And how are you inviting other people in your life 
just shout God's goodness and grace to you off of the sides of the mountains so that it echoes back over you. Many of us haven't made it to a second bookend moment in some area of our life yet. We're somewhere in the desert and that's where we're tempted to doubt that God is for us and it seems like maybe he has forgotten us or maybe his plan isn't faithfulness anymore. And so we have to remember it was several hundred years between the promise made to Abram and Sarai at Shechem and this covenant ceremony with Joshua and the Israelites back at Shechem. They walked through oppression in Egypt and wanderings in the desert in between that. So if that's where you are today, cry out to God in prayer with lament and lament with him the ways that he may seem absent or it may feel like he has forgotten you. And as you wait, let this covenant ceremony at Shechem echo over you. Go find a place with an echo and shout out God's promises. Let his faithfulness echo in your ears. If you can't find the words to speak his promises today, invite some friends to speak them over you and to remind you that he is for us and he is with us. And remember too that the entire Bible is a bookend moment. Adam and Eve disconnect themselves from God and they can no longer dwell with him in the Garden of Eden. They are living a cursed life apart from him. But in between the Garden of Eden and another garden, God in his faithfulness and his grace, he pursues us. And at the end, we will again dwell with God in another garden, in the new Jerusalem. Let's root ourselves in that promise this week and let his faithfulness echo over us, just like it did for the Israelites at Shechem, the queen of the hills. Go in peace. Whether today you are wandering through the wilderness, making your home in a highway land, or resting beside green pastures, may you know the comfort and calling of the one who places us. Subscribe now to receive new episodes every Thursday and help us out by leaving a review to invite others to journey with us. You can download the show notes and a beautiful watercolor map of today's episode at my website, kelsagraybell.com. I'm Kelsa Graybell, and thanks for listening to Placed.